Institute Biblique du Québec in the city of Longueuil. That's our Bible college, and so privileged to partner with them and with our Quebec district and to be able to do this. And we've got our little band and our technicians, and uh, we've been doing this every Sunday for a while. So uh, thank you so much for June, uh, tuning in, and I would remind you right off the bat, as we say, uh, to share this broadcast. If you're watching on Facebook, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that little share button. I promise you will not be embarrassed by what you share. And uh, the content, uh, we always try to make it so that, you know, your non-Christian friends, your Christian friends, your whatever friends will be able to say, ah, okay, that's interesting. I'm learning something, all right? Uh, so hit that share button. I remind you to pray for our missionaries, Don and Marie-José Mann. Uh, for the Charbonneaux, I'll put their pictures on the screen one by one here, for the Charbonneaux in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and for EJ Toupé, who is in urban Toronto, downtown Toronto, uh, as we speak there. And you know, most of these people, you can stay in touch with them through their uh, online presence. A little difficult with the mans right now, but there is uh, ways of doing that with them, too. And uh, remember as well, our online Bible study Wednesday nights, we're going to finish this session on Wednesday, but we'll start something again next week, and it's called A Clash of Kingdoms. We've been having a great time on Wednesday nights. It's one hour from 7 to 8 on the Zoom platform. Great quality video that we're playing from the folks at That the World May Know, and uh, it's an on-site in uh, Israel and Greece and Turkey and uh, we're really enjoying that series. And tomorrow night, on Monday night, we will do another question and answer live uh, broadcast. And the question came to me. Uh, we're doing a little, seems like people are coming in with questions about the Holy Spirit. What is being, quote unquote, slain in the Spirit? You say, I've never heard that term. What in the world does that mean? We're going to uh, take a look at that tomorrow night. And uh, if you want something more, and you want to take the next step of, of growth in your life, I would invite you to join our discipleship group through our Facebook page. We've got about seven people on there now, I think. And uh, wow, they are growing. And I give them work to do. I give them homework to do. I give them little tasks and assign them things to do and challenge them uh, about different things. And uh, we're going to have a great time with that group over the weeks uh, ahead and months ahead. So if you want to join in, uh, you can do so through our Facebook uh, page. There's a little link in the More button there to our group, okay? Uh, thank you for your faithfulness in giving. As usual, people, most of you are doing that through our website, and if you hit the Give button, uh, that is through PayPal. You can also give via e-transfer. You should have received your income tax receipts by now. If you have not, just contact me, and I will get that to you either by email or snail mail. I just love saying snail mail. Um, uh, yes, and some of you are wondering, seeing as some movie theaters in the province of Quebec have opened, yes, our location has opened Cineplex Zistrant uh, in Brossard. There's a picture of it on your screen there. Um, now, uh, they are open with a lot of constraints. They have the curfew that they have to respect. They can't sell concessions, but they still chose to open. And we are waiting for them to give us the guidelines uh, that they want for us if we are going to meet there. Right now in the province of Quebec, it is only 10 people uh, plus volunteers in, per room in a place of worship with no congregational singing. So those are pretty pretty heavy restrictions. 
Uh, those are currently in place, and it's probably true that the movie theater will ask us to follow those restrictions because we are a church, but we're waiting for them to get back to us. There's no rush. We continue to uh, press on here online, and uh, you know what? It's been a year, folks, and I think we're getting better and better at it. Uh, online church is not going away anytime soon. So uh, when we do get back to the theater, we will continue to broadcast live and everything is going to keep going because really there are, there's two audiences. There's an online, on, uh, online audience, there's an in-person audience, and we're all part of the same church together. So we'll give you news when we get news. Uh, so just be in prayer for that whole thing. And today is part eight. This is the last um, message in this series, When You pray. You can catch up online, Facebook, YouTube, or our website. Uh, for all that, we also put the audio of the message only on Podbean and Apple Podcasts uh, so that you can access it that way as well, all right? And um, so today, I want to talk to you about, I think, an often misunderstood subject. Uh, the title of the message today is, When You Pray, Stand Firm. Stand firm when you Pray. Uh, the term when you pray is something that Jesus used a few times when he was teaching people about prayer. Um, so I have a question for you, and you can use the you can use the comments section. It'd be interesting to see some of your responses there to this question. But um, when you have prayed for something, whatever it was, uh, something in your personal life, a relationship, a financial thing, a physical thing. Uh, uh, there is so many different things to pray for, right? In part one, we talked about, well, what do I pray about? What do I pray for? And Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer a variety of things that you can be praying for. I wonder uh, if it's true for you. Did you ever pray for something and it got worse when you prayed? <laughs> so you prayed about it and it didn't get better. It got worse, uh, so much so that you felt like you're doing something wrong by praying. Say, well, I try this prayer thing, and when I pray about the situation, it gets even worse. So either God is not there, and he, or he doesn't exist, or he's intentionally trying to torture me <laughs> by making this situation worse. Maybe I'm a bad person, and God's doing something to me because I'm trying to pray, but there's something wrong with me, and so he's trying to maybe hurt me uh, to make the situation worse. Has that ever happened in your life? You ever pray about something, and you said, oh, my goodness, this, this is making it worse. There must be something drastically wrong. I think I'm going to stop praying about it. It wasn't so bad, but now since I started praying, it got even worse. You ever have that experience before? I've had that experience more times, I think, than I can count. Uh, you say, well, th that sounds really, really strange. Well, let me give you a little sampling of some passages of Scripture just from the New Testament. We've been focusing in the book of Acts. Today, we're going to step out of the book of Acts and just look at some things uh, that Paul wrote. We have met Paul in our journey uh, through Acts uh, in, in some detail, and these are some things that he wrote, uh, just, just, uh, just little snippets, just little nuggets that kind of come and go. Um, from the pages of his work here. The first is from Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. This is a little letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. 
which is, I think, in uh, around about the area of modern-day Turkey. And uh, this is what he writes in the end of his, his letter to them. Uh, uh, verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, probably by this he means a non-Jewish person, a Gentile, and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. Interesting. Epaphras, we don't know much about, but Paul says, speaks very highly of him and says he's always wrestling in prayer. Wrestling with who? Wrestling about what? Seems to have been something of a struggle as Epaphras was praying for the people that the people would stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. But he wrestled as he was praying. Interesting. Paul writes to the Thessalonian uh, church two letters. One of them, the first one, in chapter 2, verse 18, this one really is quite a verse that just jumps off the page. Uh, and he talks about trying to visit this church, and he says in verse 17, when we were torn away from you for a short time in person, but not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. What? <laughs> Satan stopped us? I mean, where did that come from? He just drops it in. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when we come? Is, is, it, is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And yet he says that he was somehow stopped or hindered in some translations by Satan. We'll get into what that word means in a few moments. Stopped. This kind of struggle. His desire was to visit them, and he was somehow stopped in a spiritual sense. And then you have the passage that is probably the most famous when it comes to this sort of thing. And this is in uh, Ephesians and the whole chapter, really, uh, and the previous chapter has to do with this sort of thing. And I'll just read the back end uh, from verse 18 of chapter 6 for now. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. This is a sort of a conclusion to his statement uh, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but the schemes, he says, of the devil, rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You say, man, that is, that's, that's intense. And these little verses, they seem to indicate that there is this pushback that you can experience when you serve God and when you pray. So I want to give you some insight into this and help you understand 
that in fact it's perfectly normal and it's probably a good sign when you experience this type of thing. You should do the reverse. Instead of quitting, uh, you should pray more, all right? So just a few observations here, and today we're going to take uh, communion as well. So uh, we'll give you some time at the end if you haven't already done so, uh, just uh, a wafer or a cracker and some juice, and that will suffice for us uh, when we do communion at the end here. So just some observations for you in this, okay? Opposition, and these things will come on the screen for you, opposition, uh, resistance, struggle when you're praying, this is normal, and this is actually an opportunity for you to grow. It's not an opportunity for you to quit. It's an opportunity for you to grow. Uh, if you just back off the spiritual world for a moment, you th just think about the natural world. How do things grow? And how do things get stronger? You know how they get stronger? By resistance, by opposition. Uh, people talk about trees, and when the wind blows against the the tree, the roots dig in and they get stronger. You look at athletes, all kinds of athletes from whatever discipline, it doesn't matter. How do they train? They train with resistance. They have to have pushback. Uh, we've got a, a, a great example in our own church, number of people in different disciplines in different sports. Boy, we've got I think squash, taekwondo, bodybuilding, and one of the people on our on our worship team, he's smiling now. We've got a squash player on our worship team. We've got a bodybuilder on our worship team. These guys know it's resistance and tension and opposition that makes you grow and makes you get better at your discipline. Muscle grows when it, you, it, you have to have resistance for it to grow. And we see this all over the natural world. The same is true in matters of the spiritual world. Um, when you want to grow in prayer and you s experience resistance, that's the opportunity to grow. So Epaphras, again, he is struggling in prayer for these people. He's wrestling in prayer. It doesn't say with who, against who, against what, but there was opposition in order for there to be wrestling. And he just felt this burden for these people, and he sensed this, this kind of a struggle to pray them somehow into a place where they would get mature. So it's an opportunity for you to grow, not an opportunity for you to quit. Uh, number two, when you talk about prayer, prayer is, I'll put this term in quotes, it is a supernatural activity. What? You say, what do you mean it's a supernatural activity? Well, <laughs> who are you praying to? You, you're, you're trying to talk to God. I mean, God is not natural in the sense of, you know, you can see him, touch him, talk to him like you would another human being in that sense. You're, you're talking to God who is invisible, who you've never seen, who you've probably never heard his voice. Uh, who is portrayed in the Bible as being everywhere all the time, 
who is portrayed as being in time, out of time, at the same time, before time, at the end of time. I mean, he is clearly spirit. Jesus taught this about God. He is able to work in the natural world, but he rises beyond the natural world and is able to circumvent his own natural world whenever he wants, doing whatever he wants. He is entirely sovereign. He is entirely knowing. He is entirely powerful. He's entirely present. So when you talk to God, when you are praying, you are engaging in a supernatural activity. Um, Don't be a Christian naturalist. A naturalist and the view of naturalism is all there is, is what we see and experience in nature and creation. So a naturalist says there is no spiritual world, there is no God, there is no devil, there is no afterlife, there is no uh, invisible reality at all. All we know is what we see, what we experience, what we can test in a lab. This is what there is, and anybody who believes in any kind of religious thing is is in inventing that just for a crutch because they're too weak to accept the reality that all there is is naturalism. Okay, don't be a Christian naturalist. <laughs> Sometimes Christians can turn into naturalists and they're praying, but they don't expect much from God at all. I mean, they they, they have about uh, as much faith as, uh, it, like their faith level is on a scale of zero to ten. It's like minus a hundred. Uh, don't be a Christian naturalist. There's more to this life than what you see. There's more to this life than what we can test in a lab. Uh, there, there is so much about existence that we don't know, don't understand. And God, as portrayed in the Bible, is very real. Jesus clearly revealed himself uh, re- and revealed God to us. When we pray, we are therefore talking to a supernatural being. It is therefore a supernatural activity that you're engaging in. And if you're engaging in a supernatural activity, you are acknowledging the reality that naturalism is not all there is. Paul says it, pray in the spirit on all occasions. Clearly, that's a spiritual, I use the term supernatural to mean above nature activity. And Paul sees this as an invisible thing, as a very important thing, but clearly a supernatural thing. When I was younger, and maybe some of you would would, uh, have the same, you would relate to this, I, I was fascinated with the supernatural, in particular with the the occult of the supernatural. And was quite intrigued by this, I think, from the age of a young child into my young adult years. And it really took me down, I think, somewhat of a dangerous road there, especially in the way that I viewed life uh, and the way that I viewed the world. Uh, When you start to engage the occult and it becomes your worldview, it can become very, very dangerous. And my understanding of the supernatural was framed by, you know, modern media and culture and whatever other things. When I encountered what the Bible has to say about it, I was quite surprised because while the Bible acknowledges it, 
it, it presents it in a very different way than the popular culture does and shows the dominance of God and Jesus in this world that clearly is portrayed as being real in the Bible. I had no trouble, trouble believing it was real. I just had a, an off skew, a, a skewed picture of what it really was. So when you're praying and you have that opposition and you have that sense of, whoa, there's a block. I'm being hindered. This is a struggle. I'm being stopped by something. This requires effort. There's resistance involved. That's because you're dealing with an adversary. So this is clearly taught, especially in Ephesians 6 there, the reference I gave you, 1 Thessalonians 2. In fact, Jesus is the one, and Paul as well, but especially Jesus, who really expands on this uh, through his teaching and um, in the Gospels. And you see Paul pick up on this as well. Peter picks up on it. John picks up on it. If you just go by the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament, you do see this, but it's very underdeveloped. Jesus brings this whole reality out uh, and, and addresses it uh, uh, head on. And we've seen this uh, in, our, in our little study here in prayer. Uh, Wednesday nights, as we've been going through um, A Clash of Kingdoms, we've seen it there as well. You have a spiritual adversary, opponent, enemy. Uh, we, we toss around the name uh, Satan as if it's a proper name. It is not. It's more like a title or a noun. Uh, in Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word, Satan, and it means adversary. Uh, in fact, in the Old Testament, the word is used uh, sometimes to describe God, sometimes to describe people, sometimes to describe kings, sometimes to describe a malevolent being set against God, because the word means an adversary, an opponent. Sometimes God is an opponent to people in the Old Testament. So, uh, sometimes uh, uh, a king is an opponent. So the term simply means an opponent or an adversary. Now, when Jesus picks up on this and when Paul picks up on this, they are clearly talking about a specific spiritual being that is an, an opposer, an adversary, an enemy of God and of humanity. So Paul says he stopped us from visiting the Thessalonians. Paul writes to the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power because there is the schemes, he says, of the, and he uses the term devil, diabolos, uh, that you have to deal with. And you see this strewn about in Paul's writings. He talks about the deceptions that happen and how the enemy tries to deceive people. And this is what happens when you pray. You experience this kind of opposition. You shouldn't be afraid of it. You shouldn't quit. You should keep going. Again, this is an opportunity for growth. It is clearly a supernatural activity you're involved in when you're praying. But this is what he does, okay? And this is where I find there is so much confusion. I'm going to put it on the screen for you, two slides. If you get anything from this message, uh, learn this, because there is so much weird, bizarre 
teaching and views in the church around the world about the activity of the of the enemy uh, that it's taking people so far off track that I think, to be honest, the enemy is kind of laughing and saying, wow, I've got the church believing this about me. That's really good. That's that's better than I thought. The church believes this and the church believes that. That's great. I've got them on a tangent. Uh, if you ever read C.S. Lewis and the screw tape letters, uh, you will find that the work of the enemy is deception. This is what he does. And for some of you, this is going to knock you over because you've never heard it this way before. Uh, And I'll put it on the screen. The Satan, that's the enemy. Again, this is not a name. It's It's a title. He opposes the fulfillment of God's purposes in your life. That's what he's going to try to do. You say, well, what are God's purposes in my life? I'll give you five of them. Uh, There's a man, a pastor by the name of Rick Warren out of uh, California. I've been to his church many years ago. And Rick Warren um, was very helpful in a book that he wrote called The Purpose Driven Church in the early 90s, I think, or mid-90s. And then uh, later on, he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. I think some of you have probably read it. It is, it is I believe, the number one uh, nonfiction bestseller of all time. And uh, he, uh, through an exhaustive look at the New Testament, came up with what clearly is taught as the five purposes of the church and five purposes for a person. Number one, to love God. We can call that. Worship. That's one of the purposes that God has for your life is to love him, to worship him. Number two, to be a part of God's family. That's fellowship. That's relationships within the community of faith. That's purpose number two. So number one, worship. Number two, fellowship. Number three, to become like him. That we can use a fancy term, discipleship. When you become more and more like Christ in your character. Uh, Number four, to serve him. The team that was leading us this morning, that's ministry. That's being involved in service. And purpose number five is to tell others about him. Those are the five purposes that God has for your life. Those are the five purposes that God has for any church. You do a survey of the New Testament, that's what you're going to find over and over again. And Rick Warren does this very well, very simply in his books, but it's just pulled out of the New Testament. So any time that you are not doing those things, or you have stopped doing those things, or there's an opposition to those things, that clearly, uh, if we're to believe the Bible, is that opposer, that adversary is trying to stop you from fulfilling God's purposes in your life. You say, well, wait a second, I thought it was, you know, Ouija boards and all this stuff. I'm not denying that, okay? But that those things are obvious. You know, don't pick up a Ouija board. Don't start fooling around with horoscopes. Don't look into magic eight balls. You know, those kinds of things are going to get you into serious, serious spiritual trouble. Don't go and get hypnotized either. That's going to get you in serious spiritual trouble. But those things are obvious. This is a little less obvious. And this is really the playground that the adversary works in to stop the purposes of God in your life. You say, well, you know, uh, that's what's happening today, Pastor. That's, the churches can't meet. It's the work of Satan. I disagree. 
uh, you're you're on this on the camera. You're watching the thing. You're participating in this online gathering. That is in obeisance to the command of Scripture to not forsake the gathering of ourselves together. You made a decision to watch today. You made a decision to participate today. You are fulfilling the purpose of God of fellowship and of community by doing so. Even though you're looking into a camera, it's not the best thing. Yes, it's a little little frustrating. Yes, but you're still doing it, okay? So don't don't do this thing. Well, oh, you know the government, that's the that's the it's the enemy. He's the one who's doing it. Folks, go to other countries around the world where you can't even you can't even meet in a public place lest you be arrested, thrown in jail, or even worse. We have it so good where we are. We're living through a one year of a pandemic and you know, lockdown and closure and all these kinds of things and all these restrictions. But folks, we're still so much better off than many, many countries in the world where if they meet together in the same place at the same time, their lives are on the line. So those five purposes are the purposes that the enemy is going to try and oppose. And the way that he's going to do that is to lie to you, to deceive you, and to mess up areas of your life in relationships. I have heard so much over the years, and especially now with this pandemic, uh, people on rabbit trails about, well, you know, this this COVID is a spirit. It's a demon. We need to pray and, you know, cut the head of the demon of COVID-19 off and all of this stuff. Folks, if, if that were true, it would have been gone a long time ago. That's not what that's not what the Bible is teaching at all in this subject. And I think sometimes when we get on those rabbit trails or we talk about politics and we say, well, you know, there's the demons and devils in this Democratic Party, but not in, in or I say I said Democrats, sorry, in this political party, but in not this not in this political party and all this other stuff. To be honest, I think that the enemy really looks at that and he says, oh, I've got them now. I've got them on all these rabbit trails, and they don't realize how much I'm really deceiving them because I'm stopping them from the purposes of God in their life. And I, I've got my little narrative playing in their minds, and I'm breaking relationships in their lives. You say, what do you mean relationships? If you look at the famous passage in Ephesians, about spiritual warfare and, you know, the armor of God that we're supposed to put on. And we can go into detail and try and do a, an exegesis of each, each piece of the armor and so on. And that, that's all good. And I've done that before. But if you look at the overall context of that passage, it is a conclusion to a little sermon that Paul is giving about relationships. So he's talking about wives and husbands. You know, that is one of the most contentious passages in the scripture is this passage about wives and husbands from Ephesians 5, the back end of Ephesians 5. And he's teaching about mutual submission in that relationship, that marriage relationship. And he talks about children and parents. He talks about uh, uh, parents and children. He talks about in his context, his world, slave and masters, which would be employee, employer in our context. How do you treat them? How do you how do you treat your boss? How does your boss treat you? All these relationships he talks about. And then he says, finally, 
Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So what he's saying is your struggle is not against your husband. Your struggle is not against your wife. Your struggle is not against your child. Your struggle is not against your parent. It's not against your employee. It's not against your boss. Your struggle is against that enemy who seeks to fracture those relationships. He wants to deceive you. He wants to drive a wedge in relationships. He wants to bring destruction in the social fabric of society because he wants to stop you from fulfilling the purposes of God in your life. Worship, fellowship, discipleship, sharing, serving. He wants to stop that because if he can stop that in your life, he can deceive more people. So that is what you're up against when you are praying. And it's good that you know that because the solution for that is in the back end of this passage in Ephesians 6. And pray in the spirit, what? On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and all kinds of requests. We'll put it on the screen. He's talking about variety. He's talking about consistency. So the, the antidote to this, the solution to this, keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Pray on all occasions. It doesn't have to be in the usual routine that you pray in. You know, if you're used to praying on in the morning, well, pray on all occasions. Pray in the evening. Pray in the noonday. Pray on all occasions. There isn't a specific way to do it. There isn't a specific time to do it. Any occasion is a good occasion is what he's saying. So blow the doors off of your tradition in the way that you pray and pray on all occasions. He says, pray in the spirit. There's a variety of opinion as to what that means. Uh, Pentecostals will typically say, well, that means that they're praying in the in their in tongues. Uh, other fellowships and denominations won't say that. But the point is, there's a spiritual connection that's happening there on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, with all kinds of requests. You say, well, I don't know if I can pray about that. Well, pray about it anyway. Well, I don't know if I should be praying for that. Well, pray about it anyway. Maybe if you're off, you're off. But he's saying you've got to enlarge your scope and your understanding of prayer because it is very, very powerful. All kinds of prayers, all kinds of requests. With this in mind, be alert and I, th I think we've fallen asleep at the switch, especially in this whole COVID thing. Our alertness is like we're all over the place, but we're not being as alert as we should be, I think. And keep on praying for all the saints. That means for the body of, of uh, Christ, for the church. Pray also for me, Paul says. And this is a passage actually coming up here that at the end of every one of the uh, Wednesday night studies that we're doing, this passage comes on the screen in their study. Pray also for me. This is Paul. That whenever I open my mouth, this is Paul. Paul had a big mouth in the sense that he wasn't afraid to say anything, apparently. He says, whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly. I mean, Paul seemed pretty fearless. But he says, pray for me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in 
chains. He's writing this from a Roman prison. Pray that I may declare it again fearlessly as I should. Variety, consistency, pray for courage, because ultimately we are the people who carry the message of the gospel. We are the people who live it. We are the people who preach it. And if we stop living it and stop preaching it, it will not have any effect in other people's lives. So when you have that pushback, when you have that resistance, really you should flip it and look at it as an encouragement for you to keep on going rather than something to discourage you. God is very much on your side and he very much wants you to persevere and to keep going as you're praying because when you face that resistance, you're actually making progress. So I'd like the, uh, the band, if they would come to the, to the uh, platform there and they would begin to play and we're going to do communion together. We'll put a little slide on the screen there and get you, give you a couple of minutes to go and get your emblems, whatever you find, some juice uh, or a cracker, wafer, whatever you have, bread in your, in your pantry. Uh, it doesn't really matter what it is. Uh, these are symbols of something, something very, very important. Uh, but we're going to do that. This is the last um, uh, part of this series and the end of the month. Uh, next week, we're going to begin a series on the life of Jesus leading up to Easter. It's what I'll call a Lent series. We'll learn a little bit more about that uh, next week. Uh, but I'm going to go and get my emblems over here that I just have behind me and was able to to have communion with the band uh, before uh, the service began. But I wonder where you are at today. I, I, have, a, I have an idea that there are many of you and you say, wow, you know, finally somebody said it because whenever I pray, it just seems like it just seems like a wall comes up. It just seems like it's getting worse and worse. Wow, you are in a good, good spot, my friend. You are in a place where you can grow and where you can experience uh, the breakthroughs that God would have for you and you would be able to grow spiritually. Spiritually, And that's one of the things that God wants uh, for you in your life. So uh, I'm going to flip over here to a passage in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Very rarely talked about in, in uh, communion services. But I'm going to read this for you. And this is what he says to the Corinthians, at least in chapter 5. He says, uh, your boasting is not good good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Now I'm holding in my hand here uh, a piece of unleavened bread. Uh, this is bread without yeast. And uh, in, the, in the Passover, this is what they would use. They would use bread without yeast to symbolize the, the, the speed that the Jews had to leave Egypt. He says, don't you know a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb. 
So the Passover, they would have to eat uh, a, a lamb uh, shank, a piece of a roasted piece. And this would be a, a remembrance of the fact that the the angel passed over the Hebrew homes way back in the book of Exodus. So he says, Christ is our Passover lamb. He has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival in that context, the remembrance of the Passover, but not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. What's he saying? He's talking about how this bread that we take, it reminds us that we are the community of faith. We are the body of Christ, and we're to put off malice, and we're to put off wickedness because we are the new bread, the new body without yeast. And then in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says these words, and we say these so often at communion, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given uh, thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you partake of the bread together? And Paul continues in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Way back in the book of Exodus, Moses took the blood of animals and he, he sprinkled it on the people symbolically. And he said, this is the blood of the covenant. And here, Jesus he took this cup, which was a symbol in their Passover meal, and he says, this is the new covenant. How? In my blood, referring to his death on the cross. Do this in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do two things. You proclaim the Lord's death was really three things. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He can't come unless he rose from the dead. So what you're doing is you're saying when you participate in communion, you're, you're like a preacher. You're saying Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus is coming. You are proclaiming that truth. And we do this 2,000 years Later, would you partake of the juice with me? Let me pray for you, God. God, I thank you for all the people who are watching, people who will watch, people who will listen. Lord, we are just so grateful, Lord, that uh, you, have, you have done something for us that no deception can can stop, uh, that no trick 
of, of our adversary can remove from history. Lord, we are so thankful that your death on the cross and your resurrection guarantees us freedom from sin. And I pray for, for anyone in the, in, the, in the listening audience, God, the viewing audience that feels that sense of being captive by sin in the name of Jesus that you would break the power of sin in people's lives. God, we just refresh and renew our commitment to you and say, say, Lord, come into my life afresh. Renew my soul and my spirit. Uh, uh, fill me afresh with your power. God, I just center my soul upon you and trust in you now and in the days ahead. Lord, we worship you and we praise you today. And we're so thankful for your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The band's going to continue to, uh, to lead us in song. Please keep your feet on and enjoy the music with them. God Almighty Through your Holy Spirit Conceiving Christ the Son Jesus our Savior I believe in God our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit Our God is three in one I believe in the resurrection That we will rise again For I believe in the name of Jesus And our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious life. Forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, I believe 
virgin birth I believe in the saints communion and in your holy church I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again for I believe in the name of Jesus I believe in God our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit Our God is three in one I believe in the resurrection That we will rise again For I believe in the name of Jesus I believe in you I believe you rose again I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord In the name of 
Amen. If we could just have my mic on there, yeah. Well, the Lord bless you today. We're going to let the band uh, play for a bit after, but wanted to remind you tomorrow night, 7 p.m., we'll do a live Q&A. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be slain in the Spirit. And then Wednesday night, we'll finish our current Bible study on a clash of kingdoms. God bless you, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.